Welcome to March 12, 1988 in the Legacy Series. It is Saturday night's main event, and we are in a rare moment in this history where the world title is held up, where there is chaos. It's a strange thing to watch the WWF in the 1980s in that if you just look at it on the surface, it looks like what we have called it, a wild, wild west of narratives where anything goes, anything can happen. But often underneath that is just the opposite. There's order, there's control, there's certainty. Vince McMahon is a controlling boss. Hulk Hogan, the babyface champion, the frame of having a babyface champion, four years. So you have all these people vying for narratives, but underneath you have a stability that rarely changes. Well, right now, for one moment, for only one episode in the Legacy series, that order is out the window. We will see how quickly Jack Tunney tries to put it back in place. But in this moment, we have no world champion, not Hulk Hogan, not Andre the Giant, not Ted DiBiase. And just for a second, all those narratives, all those wild claims, any of them could come true because the brackets are coming. The tournament is coming. It is wide open. Who will become the heavyweight champion after Hulk Hogan? When I think of the word implications, the first thing I think of is our wonderful host here at LOP Radio, who recently did an In Your House NXT review with Jay Cool. You should check that out if you have a chance. The second thing I think about is the fact that that word means the conclusion that can be drawn from something, although it is not explicitly stated. That is the battle of narratives in this era. This is a night where Harley Race will say that Hulk Hogan lost, so he is no longer immortal, and all mortals bow to Harley Race. This is a moment where Hulk Hogan could actually be brought down. Someone else could be lifted up. Everything is up in the air, and we are bringing you the in-between before WrestleMania 4, Miss Van has some bonus material, and some of it is on the level of Andre versus Hogan. It's a master class in being the best that you can be at what you do. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Miz Fan, the brain. Greetings, Miz Fan fans. Thank you for that kind introduction, Lord Mystic PhD. We are indeed talking about the March 12th episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. We're going to see Greg Valentine. We're going to see Harley Race taking on Hulk Hogan. We're going to see a WrestleMania Main Event preview that... I didn't know existed, and you might not know it either. Randy Savage taking on Ted DiBiase tonight. We're talking about the high, the uh, Islanders. We're talking about Ken Patera. We're talking about primetime wrestling. We're talking about the great Heenan family tag team that you never knew you needed, and now you can't live without. It's going to be a lot of very good stuff on this show. The world is turned upside down. Nothing 
is how it normally is, and that's a very exciting time to be covering. It is indeed. Um, we got so much to cover because it is that special time where, you know, good and well, it's not going to be like this long. Uh, so you gave us a really, really rich uh, bonus footage. We're going to get Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan going to Trump Plaza, and this is what I was referencing to me. You want to talk about the best of the best in wrestling. These guys are as good at what they do as anybody else in any field. And it's just, you could watch it for days, Miz fans. <laughs> you could, and I have, and I've been very <laughs> glad to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, that's um, very right up against WrestleMania, so we can talk about that anywhere in the show. But I'll just say now, if you didn't know already that Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon could probably just be their own TV show and uh, not even need the support of the rest of the wrestling roster, then uh, this will surely convince you. Yeah, we would definitely break that down. Um, I guess first we'll jump into the February uh, material, which uh, you have briefly referenced. We're going to see Harley Race and Hercules taking on the Bulldogs. But we're also going to look at... Uh, a promo from Andre and Ted DiBiase as DiBiase is champion. And then quickly Jack Tunney comes in to make his announcement. So the wheels are turning with every almost interview, every moment uh, the, the, the tides are turning because quickly we must make up for the fact that Hulk Hogan, you can do whatever you want to. You can strip Ted DiBiase of the belt, but the fact remains Hulk Hogan and his four-year title reign have been upended. Absolutely so, and uh, it's a doubly chaotic time because, as we see in this first promo, not only is Ted DiBiase wearing the WWF Championship and uh, maintaining the claim that he is the champion, this episode that we're covering of Primetime aired on February 19 of 1988, and the main event was on February 5th, so this is two weeks later, uh-huh. and uh, if you watch any of the host segments on this show... You'll hear Gorilla Monsoon uh, referencing that there was a gag order on this. And, of course, they did a lot of shtick where Heenan tried to talk about it and was uh, cut off. But uh, two weeks where uh, nobody really knew what was happening. Was Ted DiBiase really the champion? Uh, Was something else going to happen? It was really unknown at that time. If I recall correctly, Ted DiBiase even took the title to uh, some house shows and defended it there. I know he defended it at least once against Bam Bam Bigelow. So the title defense from a man who was never champion, there is something appealing about that to my mind. But uh, definitely goes to show the chaos of this period. That is appealing. It's, it's, it's rich. It adds credibility to this great era because he has played his great card, which is I am the million dollar man and I can buy the world title. He tried to do it with Hogan. He did it with Andre. So just to take the belt off immediately, I understand we'll get into that because we're going to see if you want to play babyface heel, we're going to see some ugliness to me from Jack Tunney. We're going to see some obviousness from Jack Tunney. But the fact that for two weeks he's walking around with this belt and Hulk Hogan can't do anything and the fans can't do anything, it really goes to show this man may have actually cracked the case and found a way to just pretty much uh, exist at the top of the wrestling world without actually wrestling. That this money 
idea might actually be greater than Hulkamania, and it might be greater than anything else anybody on the roster is attempting to do, because around his waist, as you said, is the WWF Championship. Hmm. Yeah, and behind his back is Andre the Giant, so are you going to go argue with him? I don't know how they got this belt back physically from this uh, pairing, because I would not go get it. No, as a smiling Andre, so again, whatever broke up Hogan and Andre... It had to be Hogan's behavior had to be more offensive than a man buying a championship because Andre is not no longer champion. He's still smiling, still supporting Ted DiBiase. And I guess the one thing I can say is Ted DiBiase is at least what he says he is. He said he's going to buy the belt. He did what he said. You can like it or not. But Andre seems to be more squared with DiBiase as a person than he was with Hulk Hogan back in the day. It's true. Uh, there's been a lot of good discussion um, in the forums. That's uh, www.lopforums.com. Uh, type that whole thing in or navigate there through our uh, main page, wrestlingheadlines.com. Uh, there's been a lot of great stuff in that thread, which I just was able to catch up on because uh, I've been a little behind on my stuff. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about what is Andre feeling, what are his motivations, uh, what does he know, what does he not know what does he not care if he knows and uh, the idea that this never really stopped being personal for andre is very appealing to me in particular because it's true you look at the evidence and uh did he want the title he never he, did, he never did ask for the title and when he got the title uh he gave it away immediately without a, a hesitation so is this just a personal issue with Hulk Hogan, who just never had the courtesy to ask him if he wanted a title shot, despite their supposed friendship. I don't know. I think there's a lot of evidence, actually, to support that. I believe it more and more with each show. I honestly, too, uh, because you were kind of last week getting on the, this is the Hulk Hogan of old, and I did not see it that way. But I think we're one week apart uh, in <laughs> coming to that. And so I think the great irony might be, the story that we put forth in uh, um, BK, um, our prof, um, all of us discussing this, is that Andre the Giant, like you said, just, maybe he just wanted to be asked, to be respected. And there's a part of me that just feels like you can say maybe he hated Hulk Hogan and he thought Hulk Hogan was dishonest. and But then why was he friends with Hulk Hogan? Why did he celebrate the victory? The thing that I keep feeling is that he believed and he understood the moment that Hulk Hogan was in, but he wanted to make him the champion that he claimed to be. He wanted him to live those things. And the irony is going to be he made Hulk Hogan a better man for a year because Hulk Hogan was intimidated by Andre. Hulk Hogan was humbled by Andre. Hulk Hogan could not run over Andre like he does so many people. But the moment this feud starts to end... We are, I do believe we may be releasing into the world immediately the worst Hulk Hogan who will reign and reign and reign because immediately with Hogan and Savage and everything going forward, we're seeing a Hulk Hogan who never behaves like he did with Andre the Giant. <laughs> well, a Hulk Hogan who has uh, gotten past Andre the Giant, whether he conclusively beat him or not, once you are past that, yeah. Uh, what what consequence could possibly be left to you? You know, what can the world throw at you that you haven't already overcome once you beat Andre? Uh, we're going to see some great Hogan feuds. I don't think, I'm hoping it will not be uh, an immediate 
descent into the Hogan that we're talking about because he still has to deal with some stuff that will give him pause. And a Hogan who has to take pause is still a Hogan that I can tolerate most of the time. But, yeah, um, a Hogan that is pre-Andre has something to fear. And a Hogan that is post-Andre maybe does not have to fear anything anymore. The whole... um bow on that is god bless andre the giant oh yeah this, this has been one of the great characters and great stories and for me unexpectedly i've always liked andre but it's almost been as a child especially oh he's the eighth wonder of the world you know he is he's otherworldly he's something different but it's not the big thing it's the little things it's the look on his face it's the demeanor it's the way he carries himself it's his behavior andre the giant may well leave this era we have been doing, we did, I think, 85, 86, 87. So we've done three years of legacy series. And Andre the Giant may well be the MVP of all of this. He's right up there. He and Randy Savage, I think, uh, have to be in the top of the conversation for most impactful player. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, D- uh, I talk about narratives. DiBiase says, I will not be a champion like you uh, about Hulk Hogan. He also says um, that he does not plan to come down and the title will not uh, pretty much make it clear this is going to be a long title reign and it will actually last until the end of that promo. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Also, uh, accusing Hogan of finding a Dave Hebner lookalike yes. to create confusion so here again, we have uh, dueling narratives where it's not necessarily, uh, in this case, you know, one maybe one side is more true than the other, but still, both sides just present their narrative and uh, they stick to it. So it's a sign of the time, certainly. And it shows how easy, you want to throw things around, this is how easy we can do it because there are twin brothers, there's no plastic surgeries, so but Hogan is throwing that around the night of. And so no way that he could have known that. So I think Ted DiBiase is kind of showing him. Oh, you want to say things so, uh, with no ramifications? So here's something. Uh, you, you, you knew you were going to lose and you set this up so that you would have a justification. And the thing that makes it work is that there was already a referee controversy that was a year old. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that both men went in thinking about what to do about the referee. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. And then so... We haven't talked a lot about Jack Tunney. He made his debut recently for our watching, but uh, I am very disappointed. What kind of uh, what kind of show are we running around here? Jack Tunney comes in to say that it was a day event for me uh, when Hulk Hogan lost his belt. Uh, he says the referee's decision is unfortunately final. Therefore, Hogan is not the champion. We need to delete one word in there, Jack. Showing a little bias, perhaps, but, uh, you know, um, we could give a little credit and say uh, perhaps he's just upset about all the controversy. You know, you want your sporting event to proceed uh, without controversy. That's probably giving you a little too much credit, though. I'm glad you said that because later he says that Andre surrendered the belt when he gave it to Ted DiBiase and that Andre is not the champion. He did not say, unfortunately, so maybe he just <laughs> forgot to say it that time. I don't know. Uh, choice of language is important, so yes, I think you're on the right track here. Uh, I will say I like about this that uh, it's very, like, 
these are the rules, and, like, I couldn't mm-hmm. overturn them, even if I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, you know, uh, for better or for worse, usually everyone can just make their own rules anytime, and uh, it is what it is. And this is more like, well, this is what it says in the rule book, so we have to do this, but it also says this, so we get to do this, and it feels like it has more of a structure to it, uh, even if it's sort of illusory. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Stepping out of our narratives and the way that we present this for a moment, sure. I got the feeling that at times they were going out of their way to talk to their fan base, who are also probably Hulkamaniacs, to really explain like why Hulk Hogan has to not be champion, and the, 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 the because they might like we might actually lose people over this if we don't really drill it home. It's possible. I mean, I would think wrestling fans would want to stay and see him win the belt back, but you could be right. I mean, we talked at the show where Hogan lost the belt, that there were probably a lot of upset children and upset fans uh, on the car ride home from that show and trying to go to bed across the country. So if you want to view this as sort of like an apology for that or as like a really in-depth explanation... Uh, to sort of absolve themselves of responsibility, then you could be right about that. I wouldn't say that you were wrong. I just wonder, and it, just the way they bring it up, and the letters that they likely got. I, if you're 10 years old and you've been watching for four years, they, I wonder how many children didn't didn't know Hulk Hogan could not be champion. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like making the parents explain that to, is like, they they re- well they did re- they do reveal later that Santa is not real so this is a it's a tough company you got to watch <laughs> it with your own discretion. Uh, you do you do it's a company uh, that will challenge you apparently so. Yeah. So the biggest thing that comes out of this Jack Tunney uh, promo is that the brackets appear on the screen. We have Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant get a bye. We have Jake the Snake versus Rick Rude. Don Morocco versus Dino Bravo, Steamboat Valentine, Savage Reed, Bam Bam Gang, and Duggan DiBiase. And what I want to talk about right now is what would be your first thoughts if you were watching this in real time and you saw the brackets? What would your, your uptake be about the possibilities of what might happen at WrestleMania 4? I mean, just looking at the bracket and trying to put myself in the mind of the period... You've got to think, I would think, Hogan conquers Andre, beats DiBiase in the final, Hogan is champion again. I'm glad it didn't go that way, but that definitely feels like what's going to happen when you look at that bracket. I don't know how you think anything else, because mm. Hulk Hogan, you know, getting a bye, like, I, I would more expect that somehow Hulk Hogan would have to wrestle seven matches and he still would win the tournament. So when you're putting him ahead, I don't know how you justify him not winning. So that would have been, I'm glad it didn't happen, but that would have been my first guess as well. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, when I looked at that, nothing even really occurred to me. Even knowing what would happen, it was hard for a minute to see the, like, savage path to victory here. Um, because you you just probably wouldn't think of, like, a, a double elimination for Hogan and Andre. Uh, that's something that I really would not have expected. And then Savage, you're like, well, he's not going to beat Andre or Hogan. You know, I, you, you yeah. just wouldn't think that that would be a possibility. Um, and it kind of wasn't, because I don't know if he ever did necessarily beat either one of them conclusively. So there you go. Yeah, it's 
it's hard to fathom, especially I also never knew that we have our final Saturday night's main event with Savage and DiBiase wrestling going into WrestleMania. So, you know, that seems unlikely to be where they're going for WrestleMania for, you know, it's just, I don't know if I would have had a second guess to be honest after Hogan Andre. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't think I would have either. Man. Well, that's a quick conversation. I thought that would bring more, but as I look at it, they really well, are. You'd be like, well, maybe Butch Reed could have, you know, it's like, yeah. it, 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 there's just a lot of guys in this that you know they're not going to win the title. The title goes on such a small group of people, actually a group of one to this point in the series. So uh, you just, uh, it's not like, it's good and bad that nowadays the pool is bigger, that people can win the championship. It's nice because it keeps things less predictable, but you also get some guys in there who are, of course, just not going to be on the top level. Um, and in this time, like, you need to be on the top level or there's no freaking way that you're going to be champion. So, Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't even know. Savage is so over. Yeah. But because he's been here and there, gone and, you know, I don't know that I would have thought that they thought he was yet on the top level. Yeah, no, I mean, just take this Savage DiBiase match we're going to talk about. It doesn't exactly scream, like, here's your next WWF champion. So they yeah. didn't make it obvious, but, you know, maybe it was better for that. i got to watch WrestleMania 4 to make my final judgment. But, yeah, leading into it doesn't necessarily feel like they're kind of building up to that. I think to confirm our point, even Bobby Heenan will say he's picking Rick Rude to win the tournament, who's his man. And he immediately says after that, but if something happens, uh, I got Andre as my second pick. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, interesting that he went with Rude. I remember that as well. And not even paying respect to Hercules, also in the tournament, I believe. So, what can you do? No, Hercules is not in the tournament. He is oh, wrestling, right. I think. You're all right. You're all right. I forgot that was separate. So, all right, cool. He's very justified then. No worries. Yeah. Speaking of Hercules. Thank you, Ms. Van, because, as I said, this is something I've never imagined, and now it's something I never not want to imagine. It is Harley Race and Hercules as a tag team. Yeah, there's something about that. I feel like it works. Um, just the royal gimmick plus, like, the ancient gimmick. <laughs> I don't even know what to call what Hercules does, but it feels like there's a connection sure. there. And there's such a, a contrast between them, the gritty old Harley race and the young, incredibly muscled, powerful Hercules. I don't know. I, this is a tag team. Like I said, that, uh, you never knew you needed, but you do need it. Actually, everybody needs it. And, uh, probably could have been a great tag team just for a long run if they had really wanted to be. Uh, although I think Harley race is uh, not necessarily going to be around in the Heenan family much longer, which is unfortunate. It is. Uh, we'll jump into that in a moment. I can see Hercules is a babyface. He'll be involved with DiBiase. I like him as a babyface from another place who has come really to upend the kind of rich and greedy, whether it be a self-professed king or it be Million Dollar Man. So mm. I think Hercules and Race also could have had an awesome uh, a feud against each other. Oh, yeah, they could have indeed. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that will exist either but uh it definitely could have would have been great to see harley race against anyone is great to see to be honest and yes. uh probably same goes for hercules as well yeah this is in some ways i don't know if we'll see race again or not so oh we will he has a very huh. 
short-lived babyface run after he returns, oh. and uh, it'll be interesting. We'll wait and see it. Okay. So this is the Bulldogs. This is a Bobby Heenan thing he's been feuding with the Bulldogs for a while uh, about their, their pet, their Bulldog. So uh, we'll see part of that in the matchup. So let's get into the thoughts on Harley Race and Hercules versus the Bulldogs. Absolutely. Well, um, I don't know if we need to speak on the Bulldogs again. I'll just say of the two teams in this match, uh, I know which one I preferred, and it wasn't the team with the reputation. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, what I will say is that uh, as much as we praise Hercules and he deserves it, to me this is a Harley race match, first and foremost, because the bumps this guy is taking... Oh, man, they're just ridiculous. Like, he's flying out of the ring. He'll, like, flip over backwards and smack his face on the way down. He'll just be bouncing all over the place, and you'd never know that this is a guy uh, not only really past his prime, but uh, almost at the very end of his in-ring career, just because the stuff he is doing in there uh, is so pleasing to watch and so popping to the crowd that, you just have to check it out. Again, this is the February 19th episode of Primetime Wrestling in 1988. It's on the network. You should check out this tag match because it is a lot of fun. Yes, I, I noted that Holly Race wrestles like the best functional alcoholic in the business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see it. I can see it. The, 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 the look and the vibe and the way he bounces around. Yeah. You could you could definitely think that. He's scary to watch too because it will be that he'll be falling all over the place like he has no control and he'll be moving really fast as he does it and then all of a sudden he'll start in slow motion and he's got you in his target and you realize I can't believe anything that he's putting on in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. You you know. You can know nothing about the business and know nothing about the history of Harley Race and somehow know he's more than what he's being portrayed as in this era. Oh, absolutely so. And uh, I'm going to talk about this more in the uh, Race-Hogan match, but continuing the tradition of taking in NWA champions and making them sort of into clowns. You know, we're going to see Dusty Rhodes in the polka dots. We saw Terry Funk as sort of like a wacky cowboy um, and there are other examples as well. Uh, some say maybe even Ric Flair, uh, something of a caricature of himself when he comes in. But uh, even so, you know, you can't stop talent, uh, no matter if you put in a silly crown and robe or not. So you really do get a hint of all the things that Harley Race was great at here. Absolutely. Sometimes it seems like the only NWA guy they did right by gimmick-wise was Lex Luger. (laughs) Oh, the shadow of Luger clings to our series. One day we'll have to confront it head-on. I think Harley Race, well, I think if if I'm remembering right, you know, he was not on board with the King thing, but I think Mr. Man, you know, told him what is greater than a world champion, a King... And somehow everybody says this. You end up, you go in there to tell him you will not do something, and you end up leaving his office thinking it's the best thing that you've ever done. <laughs> I don't know if Harley was sold to that extent, but uh, I think he did need the work. So, and uh, it's not like he phoned it in or he, he should the better anything. No. He he did a great job with it. So you can't 
necessarily hold it against him or anything. And we've been missing Bobby Heenan on the show. He's going to get a lot of praise. Uh, he has the bulldog. Um, the what is it? The like a trick leash, an empty leash. Uh, he yeah. brings out to, on a stick. On on a stick, yeah, to mess with the um, the bulldogs since they are missing their dogs. It was kidnapped by Heenan. Matilda was kidnapped by Heenan and the Islanders. It was missing for a while. It's a whole saga. It's been returned to them finally. And now it's uh, recovering, so we have Heenan uh, out here really just just trolling, just flat out trolling in the most modern sense, uh, this team here yeah. with this empty leash. He waves it around in Bulldog's face for one second, and the whole arena starts chanting Weasel. Oh, it's a beautiful Like one day. second. <laughs> it's amazing. And it is like, you praise WWF in this era, and they deserve it, and their gimmicks work, even like King Harley Race works. But there is a moment that you step back and think they had Bobby Heenan with Harley Race. And even though, like, I have no complaints about anything I watch, what might have, what might have, what might they have, what might they have done with Bobby Heenan and Harley Race together? Mm. You know, yeah. just talent galore. It really is. And I think we get a hint of that anyway, um, because Harley Race will be wrestling Hulk Hogan, and uh, not for yes. the first time. They actually had a lot of matches in 1987 uh, on house shows mostly. So you can't say, you know, you can say, oh, they gave him a Dopey King gimmick, but you can't say they didn't give him shots at the top people. You know, he's not out here uh, doing jobs to Paul Roma or anything. That's true. Yeah, and I don't have any bulldog nose. I'm going to guess they did suplexes and headbutts, but, you know, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> One would think um, <laughs> they also exercise their babyface privilege. They uh, decide to leave oh. the match after a while to chase after Bobby Heenan. Uh, they lose by countout, but they return and they beat on the the heels. I actually wrote the faces in my notes. I think that's a Freudian slip. Uh, but they beat on the right. heels with the fake leash until they uh, flee. So some nice babyface bullies right here. My girlfriend and I just finished uh, 11 seasons of Frasier, and the Freudian slip is used quite a bit, so <laughs> deeply appreciate that reference right now. We are still recovering as one does after they binge a series. Oh, my God. That's a beautiful thing to, to, to binge Frasier with a loved one for the first time. I, I hope yeah. you savored every moment of that experience. Yeah. And I knew it's, it's nice when you know someone's going to appreciate something that you think is quality. and. Oh. Like Niles Crane, folks. That's all I'm going to say about that. Amen. Uh, Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, after this uh, travesty, after this turn of events, uh, Gorilla Monsoon um, is furious at Bobby Heenan's behavior. Bobby Heenan says he didn't do anything. Uh, he just he was outside the ring yelling. He said baseball coaches uh, can be in the uh, dugout and they can yell. And Gorilla Monsoon says, does a baseball manager go out and poke around? And Bobby says, I don't know why they don't. <laughs> <laughs> the practical That's... mind of Bobby Heenan is not constrained by these uh, societal rules that are arbitrary. You know, he, he's doing what he can, what he is allowed to do, and he doesn't care if people are disgusted by him or not. Absolutely. And on top of that, they also many times leave the dugout and like get in the, the umpire's face. Sometimes they get thrown out. So they actually do that behavior, but... The only thing that could have been better in this era is if 1988 had, had, had a breakout of managers like overstepping their bounds because of Bobby Heenan's example. 
Perhaps <laughs> it will. We have a lot to watch. Um, I keep waiting for Sherry to come in to complete the, the pantheon of uh, mm-hmm. managers, the big five that we're going to have at some point. I can't remember who she manages first, if it's uh, Savage or if it's um, somebody before that. But soon, hopefully, we're going to see her because between uh, her... Slick, Fuji, Jimmy Hart, and uh, Bobby Heenan. That's that's about the most perfect manager lineup that I think you can have. Yeah, this, this era continues to spoil us because the whole time I had Hogan and Andre in front of me, I was looking forward to Savage as world champion. Now I got Savage as world champion in front of me. And I started really thinking, I can't wait to see uh, Sherry and Savage and King Savage and all of that. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I can't enjoy anything for everything. It's just too much good stuff. And I don't know how to respond to that. I'm living in 2020, so by God, what a world. What a world. What a world. All this Marvel again, and we've said it before. It's a narrative. This era is, like, not entertaining. Like, it doesn't hold up. Um, it's just a lie. It's a flat-out lie. It's a wonderful time to watch wrestling. I will apologize to the world and myself as many times as necessary for accepting any portion of this is an era, kind of like a cartoon era or anything in that kind of... Number one, as you've said many times, what, what in the world is wrong with a cartoon? So let's not make that something that it's not. But on top of that, this stuff is so grounded. Like, these are as silly as some things. Like, when we're going to watch Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan and everything is silly. But it's also two prideful men, like, very much like human beings rooted with their identities, you know, pushing back and forth on each other. Like, everything is rooted to the earth, no matter how silly at times you might say that it is, or no matter how big someone... Someone can have a big character, and it can be rooted in, you know, who and what they think that they are. So, it's just that, that is so far off base, is any idea of that. Absolutely. Some we reference a lot is, uh, of course, the elements, and uh, that's connected to the Avatar uh, Last Airbender cartoon, yeah. and uh, if you haven't seen that, you should. I would point mm-hmm. out that that is often very silly, and yet it is, uh, to many people, one of the best pieces of fiction that exists. Um, so that will tell you, I hope, that something can be cartoonish and silly and incredibly compelling and wonderful to watch. Yeah. It can be, and it is. Uh, I'll leave it up to you, man. I don't know. March 12th, 88, or March 21st, 88? Let's, 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 um, we can talk more primetime first, even though it's out of the uh, chronological order. But uh, just to touch on this, yeah, the March 21st episode of primetime, the last one before WrestleMania, quite frankly, probably one of my favorite pieces of wrestling um, television that was ever produced, and not for yeah. the wrestling itself. Uh, this is an episode where Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon are out from behind the desk. They're out in the world. They're free-ranging on location. And they're going through Atlantic City and Trump Plaza and the hotel and all around this place, and they are just reveling in who they are and their characters. They are bringing to life a world that I would love to see and would love to live in. In fact, um, I love this. I'm glad we had a chance to check this out. Yeah, it just hit me. Uh, I will have watched wrestling for 30 fucking years uh, next year. So um, life, I'm I'm getting along here in, in this thing called life. And I have never seen like the weasel chant has never made any sense to me because I honestly believe 
like in my position in the world and how I see the world, I see Bobby Heenan as more honest, like 75% of the time and what he claims than the, the so-called baby faces. But watching this, watching this was the first time that I saw Bobby Heenan as a weasel <laughs> and girl, I, I still prefer Bobby Heenan even to Gorilla just because I always side. But like, it's the first time ever, and this is a compliment to Bobby Heenan, that I was siding with Gorilla Monsoon, thinking like I understand why he gets irritated with this man. It's <laughs> uh, a beautiful thing to hear. Uh, this pairing, man, it's it's unparalleled. It's unmatched. Um, I was thinking because we've talked a lot about Ventura uh, versus Heenan. And I feel like with Ventura, you get, like, like if wrestling is a meal, then Ventura's commentary is, like, this perfect sauce that, like, matches with it perfectly and it enhances it and it's great. But Bobby Keenan is, like, like you have the meal and then you have this, like, beautiful, perfect dessert next to it. Mm. And you don't, like, mash them together. You You almost have to enjoy them individually. And it's all part of the same experience, but it's a little bit separated out here. And yes, just Heenan and Monsoon is like the most delicious dessert that you could have. And we are just enjoying the dessert right now. Absolutely. That's that's so well said. And even like if if somehow once in a lifetime you eat so much of that dessert that you get sick off of it. And you say, I'll never have that again. You yeah, know, by next week, next week you're going to indulge again because it's just that much. It's that good. And it's that much part of your life. Oh, yes. It's wonderful. Uh, to quickly walk through these segments. And this is, as I said, it's the March 31st episode of primetime wrestling. You can see it on the network. Um, they don't make it incredibly easy to skip to the host segments, unfortunately, but uh, just fast forward through a little bit the matches and the promos if you're not interested and do please check out everything that these two guys do together. Uh, we start out with gorilla monsoon showing up to the hotel in a limo. He's immediately like, as soon as he comes out, I love this. He's like, oh, I can't keep track of that Bobby Keenan. He wasn't on my flight. He's like, just complaining about him and uh, pointing out that he's sort of a mess. And uh, one of my favorite gorilla monsoonisms uh, begins here. Gorilla Monsoon, everywhere he goes, is, like, on a first-name basis with everyone he meets. He's just, like, the most connected guy in the world, and uh, he just, like, personally knows everybody, and everybody is his friend, and he could get, like, special favors from everyone. I love that little aspect of Gorilla Monsoon, and it comes up again and again. Yes, absolutely. That has to be drilled down for this all to make even more sense. I think... Number one, WWF. We have said this a few times. WWF is number one in wrestling in part because they just believe they are and say they are. And other organizations are like, well, I guess we can't be because they are. Like They know what they are and they project it into the world. And then on top of that, Gorilla Monsoon, the only guy, as I said many times, who was kind to Jim Ross. Like These are people that how you put yourself forth in the world matters. It could be real. It could be fake. It's manners. It's, it's being seen a certain way. It's treating people a certain way and being treated a certain way. And Gorilla Monsoon cares about that. And you see how much he carries himself that way because he knows everybody by name. They know him. So you have to understand that before Bobby Heenan even hits the scene and begins doing everything he's going to do in the show. Uh, it's absolutely great. You know, people might say, I probably would even say at times, uh, Gorilla Monsoon is like the straight man 
in this pairing, but I don't think that really does him justice because <laughs> having a great straight man is really valuable, but a straight man by nature is usually just like a reactive person, and Gorilla Monsoon is so like proactive in everything he does, in his character, like before, like in the show, before Keenan even starts doing anything, he's already like on his case, so you can't even say, you know, he's, he's, he's acting out on his own side almost as much as Bobby Heenan is acting out on the other side. That's 100% true. The only thing he can't do is read the material that he needs to get across. Like every time he get, tries to get to, oh, WrestleMania is on this, like he's tr- he struggles with it because I see why you would think he's a straight man because it, it he's fulfilling that role to a degree, but He's every much bit as much a character, and he has his his will and his opinions are just as strong as Bobby Heenan's. Absolutely so. Uh, Monsoon talks to the valet, who says he has never heard of Bobby Heenan, which will also be a recurring theme here, and a little bit unfair to our man the brain, I think. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, this is in the world. This is very much uh, in the babyface world here. Um, and everyone, uh, you know, the punishment of Heenan's crimes in their mind is that, uh, he doesn't exist. Like he's not an important or a respected person in this world. As we see when he shows up to the reception desk, they don't have his reservation. They don't know who he is. Heenan acts very obnoxious and, uh, keeps saying that he's the host of primetime wrestling, which believe me is a huge talking point for Bobby Heenan. Uh, the receptionist just gives him a hat and then calls security on him. And Gorilla Monsoon has to show up to save Bobby Heenan's bacon by offering him a rollaway bed in his suite. And that that is just, man, if you want to capture, like, the feeling of this era in a moment, that's probably right there going to tell you a lot. Absolutely. So I want to point out several things from this amazing segment. Number one, we we started cracking this case already, but... The way that baby faces were good guys and all this bullshit was the fact that, oh, fans cheered them and fans are the ones that are deciding what's good and bad. But one thing, the fans are every bit as much characters as the wrestlers and they have their narratives, true or false. You cannot know who Gorilla Monsoon is and not know who Bobby Heenan is, but they are every bit the liars and narrative makers that Hogan is and that DiBiase is and that Heenan is. And I fully believe that they all know who he is, and they're doing this just to put him in the space that we're going to see him in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. It's uh, the fans as characters following the script. And uh, yet you can't say it's just the WWF creation, because as you said, just the sight of Heenan will have a crowd chanting weasel. So you can say, yeah, probably a lot of people would just disrespect Bobby Heenan in real life as well. So there's that element of authenticity again yeah there's, there's so many little the best thing is bobby heenan and gorilla sponsor just in the moment you know the response is uh the first of all the first one is the woman at the desk because he says the name is heenan and she says how are you spelling that so and that's the beginning of heenan just being cut off and then she calls security because bobby heenan just gets way out of pocket and the minute they arrive he says yeah gentlemen i've got a problem here as if they have come here on his behalf and then, as you mentioned, Grill Monsoon is going to give him a rollaway in his room because Bobby Heenan has nowhere to stay. But Grill Monsoon says, do you have a rollaway? And immediately Heenan says, you're too big for a rollaway. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for Grill Monsoon, Bobby. <laughs> 
is perfect um, Bobby Heenan mentality that, like, it's not even a conversation. Like, Monsoon's just going to give up, like, he's sweet and sleep in a roll yeah. away. And yet, Heenan has that um, bit of concern for him. So it's, like, yeah. this weird circle. And we've talked before, it's, like, these two guys, it's not like they really hate each other, even in the character, because you don't offer a rollaway bed to someone you really don't like. You know, you offer it to a, a friend who's, like, kind of annoying, but you still want to do right by him, but you still want to mess with them a little bit. And uh, it's just this beautiful relationship that keeps on giving. Yeah, and to use your uh, great illustration from earlier, I would almost say Vince and Jesse are two tough steaks. And it's hard. It's almost it's hard to even bite through them at times. I think they do hate each other and they would kill each other if they had a chance on a bad night. This is dessert. Like it's strong. It has opinions, but it's also soft and it's also a little bit different than what we get in uh, Vince and uh, Jesse. I can't see Vince McMahon offering Jesse Ventura his roll away. I, I think no. uh, <laughs> he would say, well, have Jesse fun sleeping on the street, either. you know. <laughs> Jesse would walk out of the company and and, be, and feud with him for ten years over it too. So there, there's no give. Like these two, it's so hard to explain because if you're just creating something on paper, Grill Monsoon looks at Bobby Heenan at times as if as if he loves this man. Oh yeah. And if you're if you're creating the dynamic in theory, like you would think that would ruin it, but that just it it makes it so much richer because they both. They both know, I think, that they're doing work that, like, where, where else would you want to be and who else would you want to be other than those two in that moment? Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Their relationship, yeah, on and off screen is just one of my favorite things. I love to keep talking about it and getting into it, and it's one of the best things about this era or any era. Absolutely. So I think next they're playing Blackjack. Gorilla Monsoon's already there. He arrives a little bit later. Yeah, uh, we have a few other quick ones. Uh, they make it up to the suite, and Heenan immediately starts pocketing everything from the room. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a great touch, and Monsoon's just like, it don't is. touch anything. And he's like poking the chandelier, and he's just <laughs> doing everything. And and to your point, it, it feels um so much in the moment. Like, obviously, it must have mapped out a little bit what they were going to do, but you can't yeah. tell me that a lot of this is not just improvised in the moment because they're just yeah. that good and they have that chemistry and they know each other and they know the kinds of things that they should do and say, and uh, it's really just a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's them doing it. You know, you could, you could replace them with two other people. And it would not be the same. Like Bobby Heenan is doing Bobby Heenan is always doing something while Gorilla Monsoon is telling him not to do it. And Gorilla Monsoon is always going to tell him not to do it. And Bobby's always going to do it. And yet somehow there's still this tension, you know, as if what Gorilla Monsoon says might change it, as if Bobby Heenan might not do it, but you also know what's going to happen. And Bobby Heenan, like the way he puts that, uh, whatever he's stealing in his pocket, you just have to watch it for yourself, but they don't do anything uh, 7 out of 10. Everything's 10 out of 10. Their behavior, their mannerisms, their words is all 10 out of 10. It's just brilliant uh, comedic timing in um, the strictest sense of the word. Uh, They go to a restaurant for a little bit. We find out Bobby Heenan uh, lost a coin toss, and Monsoon's going to have some favor. He asks of him later. Uh, Bobby Heenan talks about training. He needs to train for the match that he's going to have at WrestleMania. He's booked in that six-man tag with the Islanders against British Bulldogs and Coco Beware. 
Bob Heenan even finds a phone, and the saga of Heenan and uh, the phone is something that uh, is too large to even really go into here. But you know, everywhere Heenan goes, he's going to find a phone. He is going to use it to talk through things that Monsoon is saying. He's going to use it to uh, be disrespectful to the scene, and it's a beautiful thing. Heenan and the phone is uh, almost as great a partnership as Heenan and Monsoon. Absolutely. It also hits at the fact that Grilla Monsoon is direct in everything he does. Bobby Heaton is indirect in everything he does. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, They do end up in the casino, which I think uh, was a particular love of Grilla Monsoon, and I'm not sure if that was a uh, nod to that or not. But uh, we have Heenan trying to play blackjack. He says the casino gave him thousands of dollars in chips. Turns out they're actually the mints from his room. He says, someone must have switched them on me. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's so good. And the way that he'll stick with it, even though everybody around him knows. um, And then so he'll just get a line of credit if that doesn't work. And you know what's going to happen already if you watch five minutes of professional wrestling. They're going to come back over there and tell him, you don't have a line of credit here. And then he immediately turns to them and says, they informed me because I'm Bobby the Brain host of prime time and because i'm so smart that i can't play here <laughs> i'm too good a player he says they yeah. don't let me play it's amazing because just like he's not even out of earshot when they tell him this like he's just yes. right there at the same table he's still just going to turn around and with a straight face he's just going to sell a line of bs and uh and he thinks he'll get away with it you know and of course he never does but he, it never stops him from trying so god bless him it is, again, though, this, this era is nothing but an era of make your own narrative and then let the narratives compete. And whatever wins, wins. So, <laughs> uh, so Heenan uh, goes off. He's going to start working out, uh, or so he says. And we get uh, one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in this whole thing is Heenan. We see him on a stationary bike, just kind of like with his feet kicked up, not doing anything. He's making comments to the other people in the gym. Uh, Monty hears Monsoon coming and suddenly he starts pedaling. Monsoon comes in and he's like, oh, you've been working out this whole time that I was down there? You're not sweating or anything. Like the little meter on your bike says uh, you didn't go anywhere. He's like, oh, it's broken. Don't worry about it. I've been doing it the whole time. And oh, it's just beautiful. I love this stuff. Yeah, it's so much that everybody knows you. that like, nobody thinks of Bobby Heenan as an honest man, and yet he's going to fight this narrative the whole time, Bob. Grill Monsoon, and like the same thing with Grill, like, why ask him, have you been working out the whole time, when you're not going to believe what he says, but, you know, thank God they do, because it creates that whole back and forth, which is so much fun. It does. We had a whole bunch of scenes where Monsoon tortures Bobby Heenan, not by doing anything, simply by just standing around to make sure he's actually <laughs> exercising. And he doesn't make Heenan exercise, he just makes him live up to what he said he was going to do, which is just, like, torturous for Bobby Heenan, that he has to actually live up to something he promised, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Oh, I love this stuff. Yeah. I don't know, there might not be a greater, like, punishment for anyone in this era than to try to make them live up to their words. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Uh, Monsoon takes over Bobby Heenan's massage at one point and just uh, roughs yes. him up brutally. It's a great, great comedic moment. Uh, we see Heenan jogging the beach later on and muttering to himself that he's in better shape than the Ultimate Warrior and the British Bulldogs <laughs> and Coco Beware. 
And uh, finally, we get the shot that would actually be used for the end credits of prime time. Uh, for years after this, we find out Heenan, because he lost that coin to us, has to push Gorilla Monsoon around the boardwalk in a little carriage. And I love it because it's funny in and of itself. And I doubly love it because <laughs> right up to like all through the credits, they're still doing shtick and they're like rolling around the boardwalk. And then like seconds before the camera turns off, they almost hit this guy with a cane. And you can hear them, like, making jokes about it in the distance. And I don't know, it's just beautiful. Like, to be around when they filmed this must have been just a joy, I would think. Yeah, that is really, I think you said it there. I I am under the belief that how they behave on camera does not stop when the camera is, stops rolling. Oh, no way. It feels like the most natural thing that you can watch in in on TV. Mm. It's It's so good. Uh, check it out, please, if you get the opportunity to do to do that. Yeah, these are two guys. And this is very sad. Almost uh, six years later, you know, they're gonna go back to their hotel room and they're gonna cry together because they're not gonna be able to work together anymore. Um, <clears throat> and that's one of the most heartbreaking things. And yet, you have so many of these rich years of their great partnership and their legitimate friendship, which absolutely shines through. Like I said, this is one of the best pairings of all time. Have you ever seen Bobby Heenan's acceptance speech into the uh, WWE Hall of Fame? Um, the most poignant line, of course, is uh, "I wish Gorilla was here." And um, mm. just that that friendship—it stands out of time and uh, out of any context, and it's just one of the greatest things in wrestling. Oh, I did not know this story. So those are those are landing right now. Ah, oh, man, the new generation, I know we're going to see some good things in there, but one thing I am going to point out is the price that we paid uh, to start the new generation, which was some very inauthentic bumping away of people. It's not like a natural, like these people have been around and it's time to naturally progress. There are some people, whether it's Bobby Heenan, Girl of Monsoon, Randy Savage, where it was just kind of like, no, because you're associated with something else, you also just have to go. Yeah. And I, I don't think that was... I don't think that's the right way to usher it in. You don't have to usher something in a 100 to 0% uh, move. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, part of it was money, I know, and part of it was just who knows what backstage conflict might happen. But, yeah, losing types like Savage, like Keenan, like Okerlund, uh, when they did, was very unfortunate. Um, I will take a little solace because I know there is some – Gorilla Monsoon, Steve Austin stuff, some Gorilla Monsoon yeah. Vader stuff, so he will survive much longer in that era than his cohorts. It's just unfortunate he couldn't do it with the people around him who uh, who made it that much better. And I'm just thinking about them like crying together because yeah. my whole thought was, like I just said a few minutes ago, is where else would you want to be in the world and who else would you want to be than Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan relating like that? That There's so many cliches out there that you just can never get to. Like, oh, find the thing that you love. You'll never have to work a day. Well, good luck with that. There's a lot of obstacles. Uh, but then you watch two people and whether it's true or not, like the felt sense is like, oh shit, they, they found something that they love and they do not have to work a day. And that's kind of confirmed, I think, by the fact that they understood what they were losing when they were losing each other. Hmm. Absolutely. Fortunately, we'll be able to talk a lot more about them. we got a lot of time uh, with them left together, so I will revel in that as we go through it. 
Absolutely. Uh, so we're, I guess, going to Nashville, Tennessee. It's Saturday night. Yes. Before we do that, there's also on this show another Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant promo that I took the time to check out. Oh and I do want to highlight in particular Andre the Giant's part, which may support a little bit of what we have been saying. Uh, when it's Ted DiBiase, he talks a lot, well, oh, I'm going to beat Jim Duggan, my first-round opponent. Nobody can stand in the way of destiny. You know, I've done everything I promised to do. I'm going to be the champion. Uh, you know, it's my fault Hogan lost the title. We see the things that are important to him. When we go to Andre, nothing is on his lips except Hogan. He just says, uh, it's the two of us once again, but I am still undefeated, which I think is a reference, in my mind at least, to the fact that this started out with those trophy ceremonies, Andre undefeated, Hogan champion. In Andre's mind, only one of those two things is still true. And uh, he says, after WrestleMania, you will still be the ex-champion. And there is no sense to me that he even is talking about being champion himself. It's just mm. that Hogan is going to be the ex-champion still. I really think that was the thing that was most important to him here. Yeah, it really makes it feel like this is all about integrity. And maybe I can honestly see that if he had wrestled Hulk Hogan and truly lost, and I'm not talking about just WrestleMania 3, but just... Hogan came out on top again and again, and he did it with integrity. He would just as easily maybe say, you know, you are like you are the world champion. Mm. But his narrative is the one that provides it. It just feels ultimately like a test. Like I am trying to make you into the person that you claim to be. And when the when the dust settles, Andre is still who he always claimed to be. Hulk Hogan is not. Absolutely. And and that undefeated streak that was important to Andre that he got a trophy for that uh, he was disgusting when Hogan disrupted the honoring of that ceremony. That's still the thing also that uh, is important to him. And at least in his mind, he is still undefeated. He really thinks that, uh, you know, at best, Hogan's defeat of him at WrestleMania three was suspect, you know, at best. So that's the mind of Andre the Giant going into all of this. You can find very little where he's talking about being world champion. He's even, like I said, celebrating Ted DiBiase. So, you know, it's not not that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'd have to think, like, imagine if Andre did beat Hogan. Andre meets Ted DiBiase in the finals. He's just going to lay down, right? Or he's just going to walk out of the ring. He's already shown he's not going to fight Ted for the title because he doesn't care about it. Man, if Andre had beaten Hogan, would he have even shown up for the next match? I really have no idea, you know? Like, it just doesn't feel like the rest of it was important to him at all. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go over... Like, I think you can look at any world champion, or probably any human being, and poke holes uh, in what they say versus what they are. Mm-hmm. But there's some important things that I thought, thought of with Hulk Hogan. Even jumping to WCW, two things come to mind. So... What we found out from Jack Tunney is because of the loopholes, you cannot surrender your belt to someone else. That's why he was able to strip Andre and Ted DiBiase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre, I guess, strip Andre. So that means if Andre had just taken the belt and then laid down, Ted DiBiase would be the world champion. Yeah. But yeah. that, but that would be, they would look at that the same way. Like, technically, he could be champion, but as far as integrity, it would be looked at the same way as buying the belt and giving up the world title. Yeah, right? I would think so. so. 
Yeah. When we go to the future, who who is involved in the finger poke of doom? <laughs> it's where he got the idea. Is that what you're saying? I just, it's just a question of this is Hulk Hogan. Both of these are Hulk Hogan. Yep. And right now, when it happens to Hulk Hogan, these men have no integrity that they would do this to the business, to the fans. And yet Hulk Hogan himself is going to do this later. Hmm. And it also comes down to. We're talking about what these guys, Teddy Biasi, builds his whole narrative off money. Bobby Heenan builds his off of being the brain. Hulk Hogan builds his off of the three commandments. Train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins and the relationship to the Hulkamaniacs. The Hulkamaniacs are everything. The fans are everything. He has his power because of the fans. He is enabled because of the fans. So for the first time in my life, I was thinking about if this is integrity and if this is honest, that means that the fans ever turn on you. It's time for someone else to be the star. So if they cheer Sid over you, then you should walk away or you should let Sid have his moment because the fans are the great deciders to Hulk Hogan. And then when he turns heel in 1996, he says the response that I got when I came out here, he is chastising the fans for not responding right. Yet in the 80s, the only reason that he is what he is, according to him and everybody else is evil is because the fans say so. Mm. So there's just all these points where his narrative and his integrity are not going to hold up. And watching it, so what? Most people don't. But there's something about watching it through the consistency and the knowing of Andre the Giant that just makes you see things a little bit different. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's a unique perspective that I'm happy to get into. <laughs> I just think Andre knew and saw things. And Andre is the only person who is, is Hogan's senior in the existence of his run. And I think if he had just been a little bit better and behaved himself a little bit better, which is outside of Hogan, and maybe it's outside of all these guys. John Cena's got a lot of Hulk Hogan in, in some ways. Sure. Right? I don't, you know, so I don't know if you can be Hulk Hogan and not be Hulk Hogan. But I think in a world where you could be Hulk Hogan and not be Hulk Hogan, somewhere, I think he would have got the nod from Andre the Giant. I think Andre really would have given him the nod if he could have given him the nod. Sure. Yeah, and maybe simple as uh, offering Hogan or offering Andre that title shot in good faith. Yeah. Andre says, "No, that's not what I'm about." But thank you. And then maybe that's it. You know, maybe someone yeah. else has to challenge Hogan in 1987. Maybe if Hogan had uh, bothered to help Andre get off that unfair suspension that he was on, that Bobby Heenan eventually helped him out with, maybe that respect would have been enough without even mentioning a title shot, but, um, but no, you know, here we are. It is a, it's a suffocation of the world title. Like he is all, we'll get into it with Saturday night's main event, but he is already suffocating Randy Savage to a point I'm not comfortable with. Uh, when he comes back in the ring, he says in his book with the ultimate warrior, he did it to steal the spotlight. So it's just this suffocating and not allowing, and that yes, it allows him to dominate. But like you said, if you took if you just step back for five seconds and say, you know, what, Andre, you're my hero. You're also undefeated. If you want a title shot, man, anytime. I don't think we ever have this feud, but I think Hug is incapable. And he also hugging benefits more. He has to fight a giant and he's going to take abuse from the giant, but he's going to make money and make history. So, you know, it works out for him. But at the same time, if you're just talking about friendship and integrity, 
I think Andre the Giant is the great test that Hulk Hogan never passes. I mean, say what you will about Hogan, but uh, I don't think from any perspective you could ever say that he was a very good friend uh, to anybody. Yes. You know, Paul Orndorff couldn't get him on the phone. Mm. Uh, Andre was suspended, and then Hogan didn't help him come back, and when he did come back, Hogan's coming out and uh, disrupting his ceremony with his own bullshit, not offering him a title <laughs> shot. With Randy Savage, I mean, the stuff with Liz, we're going to get way into that, but yeah. uh, it's uh, it's uncomfortable at times, to say the least. Yeah. So Hogan, just not really capable of seeing his friends in the same way, I think. I think he'd almost prefer to have enemies because he knows where he stands yeah. with them. He can just fight them. He can do anything. He can just say that the rules are out the window uh, at a whim. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, I think he's just very much more comfortable with that. Yeah, and we'll see that again and again. Uh, I don't even know all the Hogan Savage stuff, but there's nobody that's not going to be guilty in that. Hogan Savage and Liz, all of them are going to have are going to have words coming at them in the next year. So uh, we move we move from. But you just see how quickly, and we'll get to it at the end of the night. Like he cannot approach Andre easily because he is in fact intimidated by Andre. But when man, when he can approach you and when he is above you. Like Savage, he is trying to little buddy Randy Savage already, and Savage hasn't even won the belt yet. <laughs> it's coming. Hogan Hogan always thinking ahead. You can yes. definitely say that for him. So we get into Saturday night's main event, March 12, 1988. Rapid fire Randy Savage, as per usual, yep. is up first. Uh, he says there's no room in the danger zone for your kind of money, and macho talks and money walks. I also noticed, yeah, Savage kicks off a lot of these uh, promo barrages uh, at the start of these events, yeah. which is fine with me because Savage is very good. Yeah, so DiBiase is talking about his fiscal responsibility. If he could not be more of a heel, um, we'll see what he brings. And he talks about uh, it's worth its weight in gold. So we got a little tease or something that's coming later. Uh, Brutus the Barber says there will be a hair-raising matchup when he takes on Greg Valentine. Slick and the one-man gang uh, talking about their matchup to come later in the night. And Bobby Heenan and Harley Race. And this begins that uh, just, the, as I said, the implications. They say that Hulk Hogan has been humbled and he will bow to Harley Race. Mm. It's that psychological warfare for sure that I appreciate. Uh, plus, just the yeah. sound of Race's voice is enough to scare anybody, I would think. Because, man... Guy sounds like he gargles gravel, but uh, line of this whole promo barrage for me is Slick, who is gaining even more ground by the day with me, saying that Ken Patera is here to do what U.S. Olympians do best, which is lose. And I did not realize that Slick was so, like, uh, subversive at this time. Yeah. Like, every time he comes out, he is really just, like, looking to subvert uh, even the country, and he will say things that he's not allowed to say, that he's not supposed to say, that go beyond wrestling. Like, he's dialed into uh, world events here, talking about Gorbachev last time, and now talking about the Olympics. He's out there, he's willing to say stuff that other people won't say. And man, my appreciation for Slick was already high, and it just continues to grow. And I recognize him as one of the elite managers, not just of this era, but of all time. 
And it's going to come back again because Gene Arkelin is not having that kind of rhetoric around yeah, him. Yeah, like, and that shows you because uh, I, I feel like he did that last time too. Slick saying these things yeah. provokes a larger reaction. You know, it's one thing at this time to say like, oh, Ken Patera, you know, was dumb or he went to jail yeah. or, you know, whatever you want to say. But he's not even talking about wrestling. He's like, after America – and that, you know, everyone will come after you, but Slick is ready to take that heat. So, you know, you you got to love him for that. Yes, but I think when you know you're not going to get a push no matter how good you are, um, it opens up the potential to, to make some noise. And Sad but right. true. Slick will never manage uh, in the main event of WrestleMania, but he is going to be standing next to Big Boss Man and Akeem yes. when they do some big things. So he's, he's going to go, I think, farther than maybe people would have predicted that he yeah. would go, and he absolutely earned every inch of it. Yeah, and if my childhood can be trusted, uh, that is one I've been looking forward to in this series is Boss Man Akeem and Hulk Hogan. So oh, good so things great. come involving Slick. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan always ends these things or often ends these things by jumping on the narrative. So he says he will never bow or break. Probably says that big nasty king, but I probably missed that part. <laughs> and then, you know, so on and so forth. Nasty. I'll take nasty over stinky. So yeah, yeah. I hate it when yeah when Hogan calls things stinky. That's when we know we have the worst version of Hulk Hogan. Which of course is the debut of Lex Luger on Nitro. So <laughs> no, is it stick, really? Oh my god. Okay. All right. Stick that stinky palm of yours out, brother. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. My god. <laughs> Vince and Jesse again doing Saturday Night's main event. Um, they kick off the show. Uh, Jesse Ventura talks about rednecks and low IQ because we're in the South. And I asked him the question, was I an NWA guy? Because I had no choice but to be an NWA guy. <laughs> I mean, at least he's the heel, I suppose, saying these yeah, things. Yeah. Here is the absolute shock of the night to me. Yes. Is that yes. Vince McMahon shares that he is from the South. And I thought you would have to drag that out of him with, like, torture and wild horses so he's just upfront about that, and I was I was gobsmacked by that admission. I think two things. I think Vince McMahon Jr., the announcer, is not is a character that he's playing, and it is not Vince McMahon. Yeah. And I think that and it's also it's almost heel heat. Like you know, it, he says it almost as provocation, just to piss Jesse off. So <laughs> it's a weird like not even proud of. It's almost just like uh, here's let, let me stick it to you. And so it, it is a strange, strange thing because it never will fit the defense man character that we think of or the defense man like person that we're told about. So it is a weird and it's just a quick reference. And then they're back to their business again. Yeah. Or maybe it was just we want to do a skit where you look at my neck and call me a redneck. So let me say this. <laughs> Whatever that's it was. That's the most happened. likely. I could, in the mind of Vince, like when you're yeah. doing shtick, it's like separated from reality. So <laughs> he could have just as easily said, oh, I'm actually from Mars. Oh, well, right. you look like an alien, you know. So, OK, I'll, I'll buy that more than anything else. Oh, man, it's fun. Those are the fun moments when you're unearthing, though, just to see. Uh, there is that moment where Vince McMahon admits. I mean, uh, he went to East Carolina University, I do believe. So uh, yeah. neighboring state to Tennessee. And you don't hear it much, though, but it was just you got to watch that Vince McMahon, the announcer, though. He really is a different character. Yeah, shocking transformation. I cannot imagine. I can imagine a lot of things when I go back. I think I'm pretty good at, like, putting myself in the mindset of someone in the past, uh, despite when I started watching wrestling. Um, But I cannot imagine 
watching this Vince McMahon character for all these years and then watching him become Mr. McMahon. Like, there's no parallel for that in my mind. Like, that would be like if Michael Cole, uh, who did turn heel, and that was a whole, like, thing. But, like, if that had been hugely successful, if that had, like, defined the company, I can't wrap my mind around that. So it's just very strange to think uh, how that must have looked from the outside. We have the privilege and pleasure that although we're in 1988, we're going to still be doing this 10 years later when this stuff comes about. Yeah. And I think one of the great paradoxes is that you'll never be able to change my mind. Like, Bret Hart, to me, will never be the greatest of all time. I think if WWF had been forced to hold on to him versus losing someone else, they would have been worse off for it. And yet, every single thing that made them better and made them defeat WCW is Bret Hart-induced. Bret Hart comes back, and he wants to wrestle Stone Cold Steve Austin, I think, in part, to say, hey, we're better than Shawn Michaels, and just to put himself back over, put Austin over. And then... You know, people often think about the Vince McMahon black eye Montreal screw job as just like almost a snap of the fingers where Mr. McMahon is born. But you're going to first see a year where this announcer Vince is kind of outed as owner Vince. And Bret Hart is like grabbing him by the jacket, pushing him down, telling me he's full of shit. So you're going to see not just that snap of the fingers, which is true and false, but you're going to see like a, a collage of announcer events becoming Mr. McMahon. And I think that's fascinating. It's definitely going to be. I can't wait to go through that. Uh, WCW, the Legacy Series, showed me things that I didn't understand before that now I understand. So I think going through it in this way is going to do a lot to help me actually get in that mindset. I'm very excited. But that, as you say, is like far in the future right now. So Yeah. All it took was terrorizing the purity of Bret Hart's mind, and the whole world opened up. <laughs> okay, we're back to WWF, the Legacy Series 1988. This is fascinating, though. We are, we're on this journey. It all connects somehow. Greg Valentine is in the back. He's with Mean Gene Okerlund. There's so many puns uh, in, in Saturday Night's main event, and it, it gets so bad here that they just have to reference it out loud. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Valentine promo is first. Uh, Oakland says this is a long-awaited shot, and I'm like, yeah, didn't they break up a year ago? But uh, <laughs> that's all right. Um, Oakland uh, says Jimmy Hart is afraid that his hair is going to be cut, but correct me if I'm wrong, didn't that happen on another Saturday Night's main event already? I have, like, a really strong memory of Beefcake cutting Jimmy Hart's hair, and I feel like I watched it recently. This is really I would not be you. surprised. Okay. It's like, right. uh, let me put it to you this way. If Hacksaw Jim Duggan hit you with a two by four and then he was wrestling you again, would he would he be like, well, I don't need to do that this time because I've already done it? I suppose. But like, I don't know. I feel like a hair. I don't know. The haircutting thing is weird regardless. So I'll throw that to one side for now. Uh, we do get the beefcake promo. And my God, like two to three yeah. puns per sentence. And Ventura asked, like, to turn his headset off after this, and he's in the right. I could have applauded him in that moment, because I also wanted to turn the sound off so I wouldn't have to hear this crap anymore. I just can't stand Beefcake, man. I just, I don't get anything out of this guy. I think I know what your answer is going to be after saying that, but let me just say, 
Ms. Van has to spend eternity in that great lake of fire. Oh, God. And punishment is for the rest of eternity, you, you either have to watch only Hacksaw Jim Duggan or only Brutus the Barber Beefcake. That's a horrifying choice. Ryan Evans out there is like chortling right now that you put me on the spot. But um, I probably, honestly, uh, I don't even want to answer this. It's disgusting to me, but I would probably go with Jim Duggan because at least I have heard that there is like a different Jim Duggan in like Mid-South and in like the pre-WWF days. And even though I really doubt that I would love the guy, Maybe I would at least enjoy that, or maybe I would enjoy that it was different. Brutus Beefcake, I've never heard anyone come out to claim that he was, like, good at some point. Like, this is probably the best he's going to get, and I'm here saying, like, I would rather not hear anything than hear the stupid things that he's doing. So, yeah, like, agonizingly, I guess I would pick Jim Duggan and be driven mad with an eternity of hoes and USAs and all this stupid <laughs> crap. It's hard, because I'm thinking if it's, if it's WWF versus WWF, I don't think I could make a pick, because it's the yeah. same thing. They, they both are just irritating on sight, but then they get self-righteous over nothing, and they start yelling, and they get worse, and then they have their weapon... The whether it be those scissors or the two by four that they use for no reason whatsoever, it's the exact same formula, and the irritation to me grows equally. And I really don't know that I can make that pick. Yeah, it's a, too a pick worth. that I would not envy anyone. Certainly, it's almost too like in a in a company of narratives, like we say, where everybody builds this narrative and then tries to make it reality. They're like they're two people who are too dumb to make a narrative, so they're just like actions without even like like clothing it with anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely bottom of the barrel, uh, between those two. And then we're going to get somebody who's, who's almost on their same level also show up in this match. So it's, uh, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. I will say yes. one, a couple of things in this match. This is not really a good match, but, um, at least you got Greg Valentine and I don't think anyone can carry Beefcake to a good match uh, in singles, but Greg Valentine tries just by sheer force of bludgeoning, so I appreciate him for that. And I also appreciate that Jesse Ventura seems to hate Brutus Beefcake as much as I do, so at least I had some company in my misery. He's, like, practically begging Beefcake to think about wrestling and not his weird hair fetish, and he's just all over him, and um, yes. I appreciate that. And, Go back, do not watch the match, but watch Bruce Beefcake walk to ringside. <laughs> Look at his eyes, and Jesse Ventura, he's just he's walking to ringside. The match hasn't even started, and you can legit look at his eyes, and Jesse Ventura says, you can read it in his eyes, all he's thinking about is hair. Okay, and not just that, and Ventura doesn't say this, I'm saying this, he also looks like he has an erection about cutting hair. <laughs> what is with his face? His face didn't even break yet, but like his only face is this like erotically excited face where he's carrying these scissors and he just looks like, man, I don't know. I can't with beefcake, man. I'm being reinforced in my mind with my Duggan pick as I talk about this. Yeah. I will say this without, I think wavering that getting outside of who irritates me the most or which gimmick I hate the most. Hacksaw, I think is just clearly oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is 
clearly more talented than the British Beefcake because he might do two or three things at times. Beefcake really only is so singular beyond what is can be believed. Yeah. Duggan, for all that I dislike him, at least has a character that I can understand. Like he, like he could just be standing in the hardware store and he's just like ready to bully people who are different than him. And okay, like I hate that guy, but at least that's a guy. What the fuck is Beefcake? He's just like a weird pervert. Like there's nothing about him that I could even latch onto. It's just like this super weird freak who just wants to cut people's hair and. Why is he even a wrestler? They have a job where you cut people's hair, but then you don't <laughs> do your weird, like, humiliation <laughs> aspect with it, you freaking pervert. <laughs> oh, God. This is why this is why we do this series, folks. We, we, we take you to the high, highs and we take you to the lows. And Miz fan, that was beautiful. Let's <laughs> uh, throw some babyface privilege into the pot since we're mixing all the ugly things uh, when Big Boss Man comes to us as a cop and he abuses his power, we rightfully say this man is out of line. Mm. I'm pretty sure that being a barber, you don't just get to go around with giant scissors and cut people's hair against their will. Like that, that seems inappropriate as well. It's uh, it's very inappropriate and it's creepy and it's dangerous because those things. It's like very a, dangerous. He's got two knives basically, and he's just like waving them wildly at people's faces, like. Can you imagine if Sid got a hold of those? <laughs> I'm not going to go there, but oh my <laughs> gosh. Okay. <laughs> I'm just supporting your, they're dangerous. Uh, oh, yeah, are you? You're right. You are very right. We know that scissors are dangerous. So they literally tell you, like, don't run with scissors. And here is this freaking baby yeah. face that people emulate running down yep. to the ring with a huge pair of scissors. So literally the worst role model you could possibly have. I think Bruce Beefcake broke the legacy series. <laughs> he is definitely coming closest, and we're not even close to done with this guy, so this is, oh my god. I hate to say I think this, I don't yeah. really mean this, but some part of me, when I was watching this stuff, I was just waiting for him to have that boating accident, because I was just so uh-huh. tired of watching him. <laughs> It's terrible to say, like, I don't really want him to be in pain. I would rather he went off to become, like, an accountant or just do something that has nothing to do with wrestling. But I was just so sick of watching the guy. Oh, my gosh. I think I forget that he was ever in this era. And that might be why I dislike him more than Hacksaw is because I am fully aware Hacksaw is part of this era. Like, every time Beefcake comes back, I either think he never existed or that we're done with him. Right. But we got a lot of Beefcake to come. Uh, he will have his own show. He will contend for championships. He yeah, will be look a part at the of the uh, we did. We talked about this last time. Like, oh, uh, Brutus the Barbershop was like a good show. Think of the promo he just did and then try to imagine yeah. him having a good talk show. It doesn't happen, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh. I can't. I don't. We might be done. I just done. feel bad. I just feel bad for Greg Valentine, who seemed like he was constantly paired up with like the worst people. Yeah. Because like he has to spend so much time with Beefcake, and he's gonna be Honky Tonk Man's partner uh, after a while, and he's gonna have to do rhythm and blues for a long time. And for being one of the best guys in this era, he sure doesn't get a lot of chances to work with people that allow him to show that off in a memorable way. So that is unfortunate for my man, Greg Valentine. 
It is, and it's, it's not hard to see that he's probably Vincent Rand probably never thought, hey, we got the greatest, you know, we got Valentine Lee. Right, yeah. He just doesn't seem like that guy, but you got to give it to him. And this is, again, the difference between talent and no talent. No matter where you put him, he's going to be good in what in his half of what he's doing, even if there's no hope for the people around him. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see Vince, uh, Vince just say a uh, Valentine when he's a guy we can, like, put on the card and he'll do a good match, and I don't really care yeah. about that. So, there you go. And this, he's got, we got Honky Tonk Man on the floor in this matchup and Brutus Beefcake in the ring. I don't know if there's a worse feud that you could have hinted at here than Honky Tonk Man versus Brutus Beefcake. I think that might be the bottom. And it makes sense, though, because the threat to cut his hair, because that's another singular person. If you cut his hair, he can't be an Elvis in, uh, imitator. He has to be like a real person, and he's got nothing else to offer. So it's a threat against his singular identity, which... For these low bottom of the barrel people, all they have is their singular identity. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, here, I'll, I'll say a positive thing. Uh, Jimmy Hart hasn't necessarily been as high on our list as some of the other managers of this era, but I will say one thing that he does better than anybody else is flee. Um, the way yes. he just like runs <laughs> at like Why? his life is truly in danger. Like he does a spot in this match where he like jumps from the floor like through the ropes in the corner and crashes on the floor on the other side just to escape Brutus Beefcake, which is also something I would have done to escape Brutus Beefcake. But man, like, what a thing to do. Like, uh, so that's a really good aspect of Jimmy Hart. That's something he does very well. A normal person would have to have a slip and slide to do what he does underneath that rope to get to the other side. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't it's beautiful, and again, though, like if you're gonna be kind of the little, the little rodent, the little whatever, the mouth of the south, like you have to be able to back it up with action, and and he does that. So again, yeah, props to Jimmy Hart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, so Valentine seems to win this match on a weird like two count, and it turns out it's one of those. Uh, I don't really like these endings where like one guy yeah, pins I themselves. I think it's very hard to do well. They don't really do it well here. Um, Beefcake, of course, sneaks up on Valentine because he's a sneaky little rat person <laughs> who is not a baby face and uh, cuts off some of his hair just because. Mm-hmm. And then he's waving around these giant knives that he carries around and yeah. he should just go to jail because he's a pervert <laughs> and a freak and he's dangerous. And I don't like him. Oh, God. I think I think you definitely would choose Hacksaw after after this. I am very much reinforced in my mind that I would choose Hacksaw. Yes. Oh my God. Okay, so we're gonna walk away from that segment and we're going to move into other things. Gene Okerlund is with Bobby Heaton and Harley Race, and again, this is what I mentioned earlier in the show: just the implications that ripple through the whole wrestling community because he says. Uh, that Hulk Hogan, it was proven that you're mortal and all mortal men will bow to the king. So, you know, that loss, the whole world is witnessing the fact that Hulk Hogan lost and it means something. And it's also a play on the fact that he is the immortal Hulk Hogan and now he's mortal. And now that you're part of this world, it's, we have to teach you how to live in a world where you're no longer above us, is what Harley Race is telling him. Yep, absolutely so. Uh, Oakland credits Heenan with making Hogan lose the title, which I think is a very fair thing to yes. credit, even though he was not at ringside. 
Heenan gladly accepts it, and he makes fun of the crying children, which is always something a good heel should not miss a chance (laughs) to do. And then, yes, we get Harley Race growling in that voice of his that Hogan is mortal, so he is going to bow. Absolutely. Hulk Hogan says Hulkamania will never die, and the only he only bows to uh, one man, and that's the big dude that walked on water, so you know it's serious. <laughs> yep, yep. I'll leave it to our prof to uh, uh, investigate all of the uh, religious connotations of uh, this and how that works into the socioeconomic feeling of the time, but uh, I, I'm, I'm serious about that. I would look forward to that very much, but... Moving along. Uh, yeah, so we get Hogan versus Harley Race, and that's kind of cool just, like, on paper, I think, because it's not really a match yeah. you think of. It's a match uh, kind of generational, Harley Race being so, so important to the 70s in particular. And then Hulk Hogan, of course, defining the 80s. Uh, it's WWF versus NWA. To those in the know, it's um, Hogan versus Heenan. Again, there's a lot of stuff behind this. I, I remembered liking this a lot when I first watched it, and I liked it a lot again here. I think it's maybe one of the better Hogan matches out there from this era, uh, just in terms of like being exciting and being a little bit unexpected. And uh, Hogan, uh, of course, is a little bit uh, of an asshole here as well. But even so, I actually like this match quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it, it is the man that Holly Race supposedly pulled a gun on versus the one who pulled the gun. <laughs> a lot of narratives going on here. Indeed. Uh, this is it's, it's important. I don't care what the gimmicks are. I don't care what the levels are. It's still Harley Race versus Hulk Hogan, and it still matters. And it's, and you know, no, again, nobody's following it in. You're starting to see kind of the terrorism of Hulk Hogan. That if you're not going to let him be world champion, he's going to cheat this entire matchup. He's going to like anything now goes somewhere in here. We might have missed it, or you might say it later. The rule book got thrown out again because of the behavior that has gone on, and he's going to take his tape off. He's going to choke Harley Race. He's going. There are no longer rules. Vince Man is going to is going to co-sign it from the announce booth, uh, and Harley Race is going to bump like his Michaels versus Hogan at SummerSlam. So that's also going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, uh, it doesn't. Um, you know, it feels. Harley Race bumped like this all the time. Like, he bumped like this in the British Bulldogs match. Yeah, and uh, it fits the era, and it fits the feeling, so there's no kind of dissonance that you might have right. with that Michaels match. Um, you know, it, it works in the moment, so... This is um, awful. I love, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say... Um, this is this is how far this is how little you have to do for logic. Jesse Ventura says I never even broke the rules that bad, and Vince Man says Hogan was robbed. <laughs> <laughs> the hell does that have to do? Yeah, are flowing fast and furious. Yeah, Vince <laughs> declares in this match. He says this Hogan has every justification in the world to yes. break the rules, and Jesse Ventura wonders if that's what uh, all the Hulkamaniacs, the little Hulkamaniacs, should do as well out there. And of course. There is no good answer for that. This is just like, well, the Hulkamaniacs, the Hulkamaniacs know Hogan was cheated, so so it's okay. You know, just in, in the mind of the babyface, this is how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rules apply until they don't, until it's convenient for you. Um, I love the start of this match because uh, it starts, Hogan comes out, he chases Heenan away immediately, he comes back. Harley Race attacks him as he's getting in the ring. The music is still playing. They're going back and forth. 
uh, Hogan starts no selling and race begs off in this great way. But then he also just like suckers him in to headbutt him. Um, there's bumping, there's craziness. There's a, a table spot. The first of two, uh, really early in the match here as race bumps out onto a table. And I got to say, you know, all respect to flair and Terry funk doing that table spot a year later, uh, which is one of the greatest segments of all time. But here, you know, a year before, you've got guys bumping on tables as well. So not for nothing, things always start earlier than you might expect when it's wrestling. It is. And it's also the fact that Ric Flair benefits so much from Harley Race and mm-hmm. takes, you know, from from that general coming out of that. So even sometimes when I see Harley Race, the way he moves and the way he, like, sells, I see a little bit of what Ric Flair does in that, so... Oh, absolutely. I, I, I haven't looked into it explicitly, but you have to assume, like, Ric Flair was trying to be Harley Race, basically. Like, Harley Race uh, set the template, and I'm sure he wasn't the first one to do it, but he was the immediate predecessor to Ric Flair's role as NWA champion, as the guy who would go anywhere in the world and wrestle anybody who would wrestle, you know, seven times a week if needed, hour draw every day. So there absolutely has to be some influence from Harley Race to Ric Flair. Yeah. Another thing I'm impressed with, you kind of mentioned it, but Race is so dogged. So he's punching Hogan. Hogan's no-selling. So he headbutts Hogan, and that works. Mm-hmm. Like he never stops. There's a sequence where he drops a knee, where he does a sweet belly to back, drops a knee, picks him up, and pile drivers him. And I'm like, my God, he's having his way with Hulk Hogan right now. <laughs> yeah, and it makes it like, if you hit a guy and it doesn't hurt him, you keep hitting the guy, you hit him in a different yeah. way, you do stuff until it works. There's no just like sitting around wondering what you should do. This is a man with an organized mind who has like a list of things that he could try with Hulk Hogan. And that even includes the craziest spot of this match, maybe the craziest spot we've seen, where Race sets up Hogan on a table at ringside and tries to headbutt him through it. Hogan gets <laughs> out of the way, and Race just demolishes this table in a sickening bump. And this is not, you know, one of these kind of easily breaking tables that they use today. And thank God they do, because it's probably a lot less painful. But man, he just like wrecks himself into this table and yet harley race famously one of the toughest men in wrestling he still gets up first and he goes back to the attack so god bless the king harley race yeah before he attacks hogan which is impressive enough because he's still like miss van sage draws the advantage you can see him kind of attack the table because he is very i've done my part but he's pissed off at that table for not doing his job so the table gets it Hulk hogan gets it and harley race keeps on moving absolutely so Oh, man, yeah. Uh, eventually, Hogan does Hulk up, and again, we start to see a little bit of the Hogan that I'm less excited about, because uh, it's a bit silly, and it's a bit just kind of blowing off everything before. And it's not like he's never done this, but it's becoming a little bit more blatant. Yeah. We have a long way to go before we get to the Hogan that I really dislike, but I, I still think you're starting to see little pieces of that Hogan more and more. And uh, as we talked about, maybe just getting past Andre, once you've done that, once you've drawn the WrestleMania three house, are you really going to put in the same uh, effort and feeling into all these matches? I don't know. We'll definitely hit a time where Hogan is not putting in the effort. So it does it start here. I don't know. I'll let you be the judge. 
Yeah, I, I I saw a little bit of that too. It just happens so quick, and there's a difference. It happens a lot even in this era. But how many times does it feel like it is? It has some earned uh, capital, and how much does it feel like it just comes out of nowhere and it just eradicates anything you watched? And you're like, why don't I just start the match right there then? <laughs> yeah, that's the difference. You know, when Hogan recovers and fights his way back, that can actually be very exciting. And when he just recovers, and like you said, it's like nothing that happened before even mattered, then that is uh, not really exciting to me. He's almost dropping the leg before DiBiase has his head down the mat. So it's just it just came out of nowhere. It's quick, and it's over. So that is that's a little, little bit worrisome. But, again, great performance from Harley Race. Uh, and, you know, it's, a, it's been a privilege. We got, I think, one Harley Race match in WCW, the Legacy Series. So... It's been good to have more in this one. It's been very good, yeah. I think uh, shortly after this, and maybe because of this match, don't quote me, because uh, Race didn't look injured for sure, but at some point uh, he has to go out either for injury or some surgery that he needed, and uh, the, the crown will pass to Haku. Um, so we'll have King Haku at some point, and nice. then uh, we'll have Harley Race come back very briefly for a babyface run. But this may be uh, almost the last Harley Race thing we get to see. So as you said, it has definitely been a pleasure. It has, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to anything we get. That King Haku thing is going to be interesting because I've never focused on that, so that would be fun to see what happens with that as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Haku, as we've talked about. I've loved the Islanders, but sometime in the summer... Uh, Tama is going to go off to um, maybe be in WCW. I feel like he was with somebody over there, um, but I can't remember. He's one of those guys who has a lot of ring names. So uh, we're going to see Haku on his own, which is also great, and uh, we're going to have a lot to say about that. Last thing on this segment, uh, after the match, Heenan does get physically involved. He takes a shot at Hogan, which Heenan should never do, but uh, his, his his temper gets the better of him. Uh, he's pursued again by Hogan, and he has to do his absolutely nutty, I don't know how he does it, he should have blown out his knees, ring escape, where he is just like flipping over the top, so haphazardly, so dangerously, mm. and uh, really putting over that uh, he fears for his life. So uh, maybe I shouldn't say Jimmy Hart is the best at that, because he didn't at least could do this ring escape, which was one of his signature things while he was able to do it, which is probably not for much longer. Yeah, it's, it's a privilege to see. And Hogan, Hogan Heenan remains, you know. Oh, yeah. You can take them away from each other for a while, but when you put them right back and they just click together again. <laughs> but whose side is he on, you know? That's uh, so going to go all the way down the line, yeah? Absolutely. So Gene Arklin is with Ted DiBiase and Virgil, and again, undercutting each other's narratives. Ted DiBiase is savage in his promo, says, the posing isn't quite the same without the belt, which is a hell of a thing to say, because kind of it's not. Uh, he says all the holsters have lost faith in Hulk Hogan, and about Savage, he says you think you're macho because you have a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Who would think that, for sure? Uh, they also hint that someone is going to back up Ted DiPiase, yeah. and before I even knew, I'm like, if it's Andre again... <laughs> Like, I like Andre, but this is the third Saturday Night's Main event where you were like, someone mysterious is going to show up and be at ringside, and it's always Andre. You can't just make it always be Andre. Just advertise Andre. It's fine. You're allowed to do that. So, a little repetitive there. 
Agreed. I think that needed to be said. Uh, as Ms. Fan pointed out last week, with Randy Savage, we get the reverse rub sparkle pose before he starts his promo. Uh, Savage, uh, great Randy Savage line. He says, the check bounced, and I'm going to bounce you all over the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, so, Savage, I, I can see him doing that is, is what makes it good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Savage can afford to make uh, an occasional pun. So uh, yes. we'll, we'll give him credit for it. We now go up to the ring, ladies and gentlemen. Shockingly, shockingly, we have Ted DiBiase versus Randy Savage before WrestleMania 4. That is shocking. I thought you were going to say it was shocking that Andre is in the corner <laughs> of Ted DiBiase. No. I got a surprise for you. That's not a surprise. That's not shocking. We all expected that. So, um, But, yeah, I did not know this match existed, as I said at the top of the show. And uh, WWE has been very consistent over the years about not running their WrestleMania main event in a major match, like, close to the the big show itself. But I guess maybe just puts over that uh, things progressed in an unexpected way, in a way that probably no fan expected. Um, so, yeah, we get Savage, DBS here, and I, guess, I think this is a great match. I really enjoy this match a lot. Yeah, it's good also to see DiBiase in the ring and seeing what he does well, that he can do more. And that's what so, makes him a great heel, though, is like he can wrestle really well. So, like, why are you trying to buy the belt? Because you're you're an unsavory human being. <laughs> <laughs> Heels are at their best when they um, when, when you believe they could win legitimately if they wanted to, but they cheat anyway. And um, it's just like you don't even need to do that. You know, it's just an extra yep. layer to that. So uh, is this our first time actually watching DiBiase wrestle? I think it might be. Yes, it yeah. is. Um, so. he, he is bumping uh, as a tribute to Harley Race at times in this match. Uh, I love the, yeah. like, over backwards bump that he does. He loves to pull that one out. It always looks very good. It's so good. And it's so signature. I can see it in my head the moment you say it. And, again, <laughs> I think that's a greatness. Is when you can When someone's form and their motion is signature to them that's just a step above if, if it's not and that is just a fact of the matter i think uh, absolutely so uh one great vince moment again, yeah go ahead uh, vince gets pissed off because uh jesse's been complaining about the hebner referee and so he lets us know that the referee is being fingerprinted before he showed jesse <laughs> Uh, Ventura and Vince, yeah, we got to sing a little tribute here again, because at one point here, Ventura is like, well, McMahon, you used to hate Randy Savage and Elizabeth, and Vince is almost choking on this, (laughs) wanting to deny it. He has to walk it back, because he's like, well, I never hated Elizabeth. Uh, I don't know about Macho Man. Like, he's very noncommittal about that part, but man, he's almost choking for a second that anybody would mention that somebody used to be heel and now that they're not. Yeah, he really does. He gets stumped as he many, as he often does with Jesse Ventura. And uh, he <laughs> yeah. argues the Liz thing and then he just falls off, I think, half sentence on the Savage one. <laughs> yep, you got it. <laughs> oh, man. Savage zigzags all over the place. He's nonstop onslaught. So, like, even DiBiase rolls out to be with Andre, and Savage just sits on the rope holding it down for him to get back in the ring. Like, there's never a stop or a pause with Randy Savage. Absolutely. I love what you said last time about how the energy of Randy Savage will surround uh, even multiple yeah. people around ringside, and that is definitely true here again. A smart little spot that surprised me is Randy Savage slams Teddy DiBiase and immediately jumps up to do a knee. 
and DiBiase moves, and I just did not expect that. So it was just a nice little thing that happened. DiBiase is very slick. I'm very glad we're watching him uh, actually wrestle now because uh, he's very good at it. And um, pairing him up with Savage, I think I've watched the main event of WrestleMania four before, and I gotta say, just in terms of like the ring action and putting aside like the importance of the match, this is probably the better match by a fair margin. I'll have to watch it. I really have no memory of of how that match goes. So, gotcha. I mean, it's gonna be like Hogan at ringside also, and like there'll be oh, interference, yeah. and you know, there's gonna be some other stuff. Where here, it's just like two guys um, having a match, and I, I think this is a great match. I'm really pleased with this one. This is a good IC title match because they wrestle a good match. The other one's a good world title match because Hulk Hogan's in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I can definitely see that. Yeah. So, uh, Savage slaps Virgil earlier in the match because Virgil's over there by Liz, so on and so forth. Now Virgil gets involved, and this is another moment that has to be pointed out because Virgil gets ejected, and he gets pissed off, and the referee and Virgil are going at it for a while. And then Andre the Giant comes over and puts a hand on Virgil's uh, shoulder and talks to him and comforts him and plays Peacemaker with the referee and Virgil. And I asked the question... Is this whole era a show where Andre is both hero and protagonist and everything else is just happening around him? Because, by God, that's a man of character, Andre the Giant. <laughs> yep, Andre the voice of reason, Andre the peacekeeper. You know, if it's not Hogan or somebody who has uh, done some wrong yeah. to Andre, hey, guess what? He's actually uh, the most reasonable guy that you could meet. He is friends with everyone except Hulk Hogan. Like, he gives <laughs> up his... His claim to Hulk Hogan for 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 King Kong Bundy, he does this. He he's always managing people, which has no like direct uh, gratification for him. He he puts himself to the side. He is the best friend of anyone who he can be best friends with. There's just one guy who he can't make it work with, and it just happens to be the great Hulk Hogan. And maybe Savage can make it work better. The most heartbreaking uh, part. The most uh, disgusting moment of Cult of Babyface uh, with the Andre turn is when it was first being hinted at. Uh, every week, Gorilla Monsoon would go on Primetime Wrestling and WF Wrestling Challenge. He would talk about Andre, oh, my close personal friend, you know, uh, all the monsoonisms. He'd talk about how close he was with Andre and uh, all this stuff. And, man, like Peter outside uh, the the interrogation of jesus man mm. he's just denying him as soon as this all goes down he absolutely just turns his back on the guy and uh, and it's too bad because you, you could almost see them being very similar because as you say yeah. it seems like andre could be close to everybody and uh give all this good advice and uh, they probably have a lot in common but you can't betray the cult of hogan and uh, have a guy like gorilla monsoon still be on your side yeah, it, it shows none of us are perfect, and we're all part of the errors we come from. And Grill Monsoon is a great guy, but that's a shameful act. Especially, it, it's untruth is the worst part. Like, you're telling me if if Andre the Giant is down at the bar drinking, and you, Grill Monsoon, come in, you don't want to go sit with him and have a good time? Right, yep, I don't believe it. I'm not, sure. I'm not buying it. No way. It's as true as Hulk Hogan saying that every time he was with the kids, Andre must have been faking it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it, always like it can't it can't be that things have changed. Things were actually always that way. You have to rewrite history. It's Ugh, shameful. It's too much of that. Yeah. And then you watch, 
and you just watch the deeds and behaviors of Andre the Giant when it's not Hulk Hogan related. Like, I don't know that I, if I'm Andre the Giant, I don't know that I have the character to say, oh, Bundamania is a thing now, so I will relinquish the fact that I beat Hulk Hogan and I'm going to get the next shot. But Andre does it without pause. He supports Ted DiBiase. Like, he got the money from DiBiase, too, and he supports him afterward as well. And he, he plays Peacemaker with the ref and Virgil. He comforts Virgil. It's just everywhere you look. I see examples, and this is probably how he was with the fans, and to me, it, it doesn't look like he's being phony, so I'm I'm sorry I'm not going to buy the rhetoric of Hogan and Gorilla Monsoon on this one. No way, no way. My, Andre treats Virgil better than uh, probably anybody does uh, in this era yeah. that we've seen so far, so more credit to Andre the Giant. And nobody, like, Andre's the only man beyond Hulk Hogan. Andre doesn't have to do anything for anybody. Like, nobody's taking Andre's spot. Andre's the locker room boss. Andre is the giant. Andre's the eighth wonder of the world. He has to do nothing. Hulk Hogan still has to perform more than Andre because Hulk Hogan is still, you know, becoming Hulk Hogan, especially a year ago. And yet, Andre the Giant, again and again, like, you don't become the locker room boss. You, it's the same thing with Undertaker. You can like him, not like him, whatever, but he, I think Undertaker said, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but uh, Undertaker said that he was the only person that it seemed like the boys felt like he was for them, but the lot, but the uh, the the management felt like he would do anything for WWF, like he was for the company, and so that the impossibility of almost standing in that gap is what made him the locker room boss, mm-hmm. and that's the same thing with Andre the Giant. And again, how much character do you have to have to be able to exist like that? And so, I, I am I'm I'm 100% sold on Andre the Giant, and it's a, it's a shame on all those who came against him in this era. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. And uh, that's not even taking away one of my favorite parts of this match. At one point, the ref goes down, and Andre, uh, for all the talk that oh he yes. like can barely move. Well, you better believe he starts moving because he starts mauling Randy Savage, and uh, and it is a sight to see. It is pretty incredible, in my opinion. Is that famous uh, come from behind headbutt uh, deal? That <laughs> God is so like his his moves are so good. Like everything he does, he might do very few, but like the choke, the headbutt, the butterfly suplex, they're all so pronounced in my mind now because he does them so well. He makes it really meaningful, and yeah, he's throwing like chops here too, and you're like, those chops could chop down a tree probably, <laughs> just because yeah. like the arm itself is the size of a tree, just like crashing into things. So my God, man, then he knew how to maximize for sure. So Liz uh, sees the uh, problematic nature. Randy Savage can't take care of himself, so there's only one person you can call. She goes to the back for the second time. In the Legacy Series and gets Hulk Hogan. He comes out with a chair. A familiar Ugh. scene. Yes, replays here. And uh, doesn't quite have the same energy as the first time it happened, I think. Uh, not because the mm. crowd doesn't react, but just because, uh, from our perspective, we've seen it before. And as you alluded to, I think there is more a sense of Hogan uh, little buddying Randy yeah. Savage. Um, so, yeah, Savage gets counted out. Uh, he's beset by heels. Hogan runs down. And, um, and yeah, that is the outcome of our match here. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot. This, this is the moment that I was talking about that is just a 
It's going to be interesting. I've been looking forward to Savage's title reign. I'm looking forward to the Mega Powers, but I hope to see some Randy Savage with some agency at times and not just you know, underneath the arm of Hulk Hogan because it's already exhausting and it hasn't even started yet. Yeah, yeah. Savage partnering with Hogan um, is definitely one of the best and one of the worst things that ever happened to his career. And uh, you yeah. have to you have to wonder about a Randy Savage career that did not involve Hulk Hogan. You know, I don't know how that could have been possible, but it, it certainly uh, is something to think about. Imagine. You know, I don't know if this could have possibly happened, but just off the top of my head, imagine Randy Savage is NWA champion while Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. is WWF champion. What does that world look like, you know? I don't know, but uh, it, it, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I think Savage could have been a good fit. I think he would have been slightly altered, but still Savage, and I, right. I think it could have worked well. So Definitely could have. Uh Last thing on this, uh, another good Jesse Ventura line. Uh, he wonders if Savage has been taken out of the tournament because of how much he got beat up here mm-hmm. by the heels, um, which is a great thing to ask because uh, we're, we're not that far away. We're a couple weeks from WrestleMania, and uh, even if Savage is not like withdrawn from the tournament, he may still be feeling the effects, and uh, it's even more interesting because we know what is going to happen, but I'll be curious to see if uh, he comes in at all beat up from the beating that he received here. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's And that's a very Jesse. Jesse Ventura was always trying to protect the fact that what happens in the ring should be taken seriously. You know, very people are getting so. beat up in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he treats everything with importance, which is why uh, his commentary works so well. So I, I got to show a lot of love for Jesse Ventura, as always. And so next up, we I think we have the Killer Bees and the Islanders. <laughs> next up, we go into the portion of the show where everyone's going to bed, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these last two matches are not much to speak about. Uh, we do have the Islanders and the Killer Bees. We go backstage. Jesse Ventura interviews Heenan, who not only has an empty leash, but now also a beekeeper mask. Says it's his tribute to the animal kingdom. And uh, Ventura praises his fashion sense, so... Make of that what you will. Yeah. Uh, this the great is thing about that, though. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So say, here's a great thing. When they go back to commentary, Vince McMahon tries to grill Ventura on his own fashion choices, and Ventura absolutely abolishes Vince McMahon by pointing out that he liked Brutus Beefcake, who wears the stupidest crap that yes. anyone ever wore in their life. So, game, set, and match, Vince McMahon. It's also Vince McMahon continues on that line, and Jesse and Jared says, let's get back to wrestling, McMahon, which is just good on so many levels. It really is, for sure. Uh, I don't have much to say about this match. It's a short Not match either. with a weird finish where the Islanders seem to be clearly pinned for like a long time, but the referee is distracted, and the Islanders come back and they win. I don't know. I, I've never been that big on the Killer Bees. This match was just kind of weird. Like the Islanders deserve better. Let them wrestle Strike Force again, and then, uh, then, then I'll be happy. Yeah, I agree. This is, as you said, the part where everybody's already in bed. Um, when Gene Oakland is with Slick, the Slick say that Gene Oakland wasn't that loser son of yours on that loser hockey team. He does, and I don't know if that's true or just someone with yeah. a similar name or what. But uh, <laughs> I love this segment though. Because Oakland is like, I need you to explain that comment about the U.S. <laughs> Olympic team that they're losers. And Slick is like, okay, 
they're losers. <laughs> like, that is the explanation. They lost. And uh, it's so, like, plain and common sense, yeah. and yet Oakland can't swallow it. Like, even if it's true, you can't swallow that America would lose in the 80s. Like, it's impossible to do. <laughs> Yes, and then nice wordplay. Slick ends it with, who needs a team when you have a one-man gang? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm not the biggest one-man gang fan, but uh, with Slick at his side, it's definitely the best that he can be, so give credit for that. Yeah, so then we're in the ring for this match. Uh, poor Ken Patera. After that arm injury, he never had a chance. He's still got the brace on, and he's just not important anymore. And, um, yeah, he's wrestling the match that everyone already went to sleep for. So, one-man gang hits kind of a weird clothesline and gets a quick win. And uh, I don't really know what the point of it was. Kind of wish Ken Patera would just go home. Sorry, what's that? Yeah. He just falls down on him. Yeah, <laughs> is what pretty happens. much. It's not even his finisher. Yeah, yeah he just, yeah, he, I don't know. Like I said, Ken Patera could just go home at this point because he's not yeah. going to get a chance to do anything anymore. Uh, yeah, only other thing, we have Hogan backstage, and he is cackling evilly for some reason. Uh, he, he makes his proclamation, not for the first or last time, that it was the heels who actually threw the rule book out, which means now he can do anything that he wants, and he makes weird faces at the camera while we contemplate the moral relativism that uh, he, is, he yes. is giving to us here. It's very unsettling with a tournament coming up, but, you know, he's going to make clear with a like, – in his mind, he probably has to win, I think, three matches or so. So how smart to say everything that I do at WrestleMania 4 is justified, <laughs> which is what that promo is really doing. Pretty much, yep. Just uh, give you a little explanation to, hey, when you <laughs> see me cheating just yes. as bad or worse than the heels, it's okay because – I'm Hulk Hogan, you know, and they did it first, so that that excuse works with your mom. Try it out. Just say that, uh, you know, somebody else did it first, and now you're doing it, so yeah, Hogan. It's so smart, though, because then it's also, like, when you start something to cat, phrasing the cash, doing something, you know, like, you threw the rule book. So that means, like you said, not only can he cheat like a heel, but if he goes into the match with Andre and he cheats first and most often, first is still not first because first happened back then <laughs> it's just such a bad message and he uses it so uh so badly i'm just imagining the kid at home is like well <laughs> billy in second grade he told the teacher on me one time so i just stole all his toys and i destroyed them i threw them off a cliff and it's all right yeah. mom i threw the rule book out because they did it first so yeah. there you go don't talk to your mother like that. I didn't ask her to bring me into the world. <laughs> when you brought me into the world, you threw the rule book out, Mom. <laughs> Damn uh, Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> uh, being a baby face is just an exercise in um, making up justifications for the things that you've done. Oh, man. It is. It, it would have been another thing that would have had me fearing that he's going to win the uh, tournament because... It doesn't. It sounds like he's setting the stage to go. I could almost see him coming out in every match and pinning every contestant. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, yep. So that's uh, that's all we've got, man. We got WrestleMania four. We're finally here. You've been excited this whole time. How are you feeling? 
I am nervous and I am excited. It's you know, it's a lot that they're putting on in one night, but I if memory is I really haven't seen it, I don't think, since maybe on VHS tape, so if that says oh, anything. Wow. But like I like the idea that in my mind they go to the back a lot, so it's almost like they're all just living in that world for so long and the show is just so continual and what we've always said this, like the shows that kind of just continue and play play on like a story like uh, I can't even think of the words right now but just developing throughout the night is better than just segments that are cut off from everything else mm, yeah uh, we're gonna have a lot of stuff we're gonna have uh, Bad News Brown is gonna make his debut at this event which I am very excited about uh, we're gonna have all the tournament action including Greg Valentine versus Ricky Steamboat which is exciting in and of itself uh, we're gonna have more Benjamin Button put that match over big. What's that? Benjamin Button has put that match over big. Uh, he he has yeah. So I'm I'm hopeful. I know even going in, I know that almost none of these matches are too long, which I think is one uh, critique of the show is that uh, a lot of them are actually extremely short matches. But uh, I'm definitely gonna have an open mind. We're gonna have some uh, very interesting stuff. We got a match. I'm really looking forward to rewatching. Uh, the Islanders and Bobby Heenan taking on British Bulldogs and Coco Beware. A lot of talent wrapped up in that match. Uh, Demolition taking on Strike Force, which I think is actually potentially going to steal the show in terms of uh, having a great match is concerned. Um, there's going to be a lot of inter- interesting stuff on here, so I- I'm very much looking forward to it. At minimum, I will always appreciate the fact that they tried this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Randy Savage with the four outfits, like, regardless of what else, I'm going to praise the presentation of that, I think, uh, because Randy Savage deserves as much spotlight as he can get right now, so that's going to be very good. And when you're six feet or six one in this era and you're going to be the world champion, like what he does is exactly what he has to do, which is mm-hmm. his delivery, the four outfits, everything he does, it's like another inch of height or another inch on the bicep or whatever Vince McMahon needs in order to make a man a world champion. So good for Randy Savage. Good for Randy Savage. Absolutely. All right. I think that is all we've got. Anything else you want to cover before we call it a day here? No, nah, man, I'm excited. Uh, Brisbane sure, Cake failed right. to break the legacy series that so we will be back. <laughs> He'll have many <laughs> more chances. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, all right, thanks for listening to the show. If you ever want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout, give me a follow. Also join the conversation at www.lopforums.com. Don't skip the www. You might have trouble. Also, you can navigate there through our main page, WrestlingHeadlines.com, for a lot of great written material. Also check out all the other great programs on LOP Radio. Got a lot of great ones out there covering all sorts of stuff in the world of wrestling. So that is all we've got. We'll be back with WrestleMania for the much anticipated event. It's going to be great next week. Don't miss it. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite.
white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is Undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. The undiscovered creature. and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared